Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 194. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. I know it's weird this year, so I hope at the very least you get to connect with your family if you don't get to be in the same physical space with them. It's weird times, but we're all doing what we can do to make it through this. Today, I was very privileged and fortunate enough to have a conversation with Frank DiMatteo. Frank is a writer, he's authored several books, and he was a member of the Gallo crime family in Brooklyn, New York. His dad was the bodyguard for the Gallows, and I think at just a very young teenager, Frank started out driving for his father. He's got a number of fantastic books. I just read The President Street Boys. I was particularly interested in that because it's more autobiographical, and he talks a lot about the neighborhood that he grew up in. So he grew up in Red Hook. Now, like Red Hook's kind of divided into different sections. Um, so some of the streets that he's referencing, I guess technically now are called Carroll Gardens. But I recognize a lot of them because I worked there for several years. And I find the, the history of Red Hook to be really interesting itself. I do have a soft spot for the neighborhood. I know a lot of people there. I've taught a lot of kids there. And it was really interesting to, to read about his perspective. The era that he's talking about is really before, obviously, before the kids that, that I taught grew up there or even their families were there. And uh, it's interesting to see that some of those places and names are still there in the neighborhood. There's a uh, funeral home that he references that I believe is still there. It's really cool stuff. There's a great episode about Red Hook on the Bowery Boys podcast. You should check that out. They do the history really well. But Frank's book and his story are fascinating. I didn't want to have him rehash anything from the book directly. I think it's only fair that you go and you read the book. But there's some things that we touched on. Like he talks about Mondo, who was a really interesting character in the book, whose job was to care for this lion that was in the basement of a bar. So check out the book, President Street Boys. Crazy, crazy stuff in there. But Frank went on to also uh, publish a magazine called Mob Candy, and since then has also written a number of books. So this is his story from his words. Thank you to Frank, and thank you to the establishment for hosting us today. We were somewhere in South Brooklyn, and it was really cool to get to spend time with him. You know, he's done these for, like, mob type of media outlets. He's got some huge stuff coming up that I won't spoil, but uh, some really big outlets covering him. But, you know, like, he, he did a, a podcast and show called The National Crime Syndicate. And obviously, that's not my forte. I'm just interested in everything. And I try to, to do justice by uh, really researching and educating about my guests before they come on. So uh, I appreciate that Frank gave me the time of day today and recorded this episode with me. Really cool, really interesting stuff. So go to the show notes for this episode. I have a, a link to Frank's website. 
I would urge you to go check out some of these books. They're quick and easy reads and just like, <laughs> they pack a punch, just full of crazy, crazy stories. Also in the show notes for this episode is a link to my Patreon account. That is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. And that's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks. I just did a shirt order, so I've got those, some stickers and stuff from around the world. Working on a couple of other cool projects that I'm going to bring up soon. I don't like to talk about stuff until it's done or close to done, but trying to use my time here, and uh, as it looks like we're heading towards another shout, uh, shutdown, try to use it to, you know, valuably and to do some creative stuff. So for now, you get this episode with Frank DiMatteo. Hope you like it. Well, thanks for doing this first, Frank. Uh, it's really cool to get to meet you and to, to hang out here. And thank you for letting us use your space here <laughs> without asking you. I appreciate it. Yeah, they're good. They're really, they're really good. They're good guys all over the place. Cool, cool. Um, so I read uh, The President's Street Boys. Okay. So you've written a number of books. I was particularly interested in that because I worked in Red Hook for about seven-ish years. And in working there, learned a bit about the history there, which is really wild and changes from decade to decade all the way up until today. So it was cool to get your perspective of, of it from the time that you were living there and kind of seeing how some of that stuff is still the same, but a lot of it has changed. So I was wondering if we can sort of just start out first with uh, what the neighborhood was like, maybe even like not even the stuff within the life, but what the neighborhood was like for you growing up. Okay. Well, then when I was, okay, I was born in the 50s in uh, Red Hook. So those days it was a uh, definitely an Italian neighborhood. Uh, very family-orientated. Uh, I think all cousins and uncles and aunts were every other block in the neighborhood. So not us, if our friends, every, everyone, grandfathers, grandparents, all came from the neighborhood, probably in about a 15, 20 block area. Uh, it was just a close Italian knit family. Uh, everybody's really, really close because uh, you intermingled everybody, you know. At nighttime, if you were out late, you know, some other grandparent or some other parent would see you. You weren't afraid of being out. You weren't afraid of uh, anything you're afraid of now. Uh, just this thing go to your mind. Uh, it, it stood that way for many years. I think. Uh, uh, when people got, uh, I think you know. Actually, I always said I wrote in one of the books. I said I think after the Verrazano Bridge opened up, it really opened, changed the the, mm. the neighborhood. Everybody started to, uh, you know, just move out of the neighborhood to a greener. You know, they wanted the bigger yards and greener places, and and that's really destroyed the the neighborhood as far as family and. Uh, but it stood. It did stay. It stood uh, a, a time for many, many, many years after that. Um, I just think it was a great neighborhood growing up, you know, it was 90% of the, of the people that lived there worked on the docks, they were mostly longshoremen. The other half owned all the stores, grocery stores, the, uh, the restaurants, uh, clothing stores, you know, whatever you need to live every day with, uh, they uh, ran everything. So uh, basically that's what it is. And you had, a, you had a Spanish part of the neighborhood too that we were very close with, and you had a lot of Irish part, but yeah. it was very small. The, but the but public, everybody mingled together pretty well. 
the public housing was initially built to support the longshoremen, right? No, it was, it was for the uh, veterans coming out of World War II. Oh, wow. The, the, the Gowana projects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gowana projects was built for the... Uh, oh, Gowanus, you're saying? Yeah, it's a Gowana project. Yeah. The Red Hook projects? Yeah, East and same West. Thing. Oh, all, okay. All at the same time. They were all same time. It's for the uh, veterans coming home. Most projects were, were built for that, unless there's, unless they're later projects, maybe 70s, and that was built for lo- for low income and stuff like that. But the old ones are built for the for the uh, for veterans. Yeah, I think a lot of people who remember Red Hook from like the 90s. I mean, you can Google it now, right? And it says like it was the crack capital of the United States in the 90s. It's still uh, a shithole. A lot of those. Those jobs dried up, right? Those longshoremen jobs. Sure. Yeah. When went to containers. They, all, they closed all the docks. But Red Hook was went bad a long time ago. Red Hook, uh, a lot of was, Red Hook became really uh, industry, and uh, and a lot of people moved out of the Hook. They didn't go far. They went just over the other side of Hamilton Hamilton Avenue, which was South Brooklyn. It was all Red Hook. Then they split it. Then they, Red Hook became the left side of uh, Hamilton Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Right side. Columbia Street, Van Brunt Street became just South Brooklyn, which originally part of the Hook. That whole area is part of the Hook. But the Hook became a real, you know, drug-infested 70s, 80s, and a lot of people moved out. A lot of industry moved out of there, and it went to shit. So, is that because that stuff was coming in on the docks there, and it was no, easy? No, it was just a shit neighborhood because it was they had the projects there, and it was, and it was a lot of industry and warehouses around there, and you know that's where shit migrates to. Mm. You know, and it just happened to be that way. You know, it was more commercial. It was more residential on Columbia Street, Van Brunt Street down there, even though it's the main streets. But it wasn't as, because the access to get down there wasn't very, very big. Yeah, it's you know, still kind of weird. Right. It's, so yeah. only Court Street has, you know, Court Street, Smith Street has the, you know, buses and, 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 and access. You know, Red Hook, one bus. I hold this a little closer, yeah. uh, Red Hook, one, one, one bus in, one bus out. So it's, it was a bitch to get to. So kind of, it wasn't really, oh, I'm going to go down to uh, Red Hook to go shopping. Didn't happen. It's kind of weird that, you know, I guess really like post-Sandy, right. people have really started looking at it. And now a lot of those old warehouses are getting converted. And, you know, like a lot of neighborhoods when all the rich people start moving in, they call it something Heights. And people are trying to call part of now Red Hook Liberty Heights. It's yeah. it's weird the transformation it's gone it through. You go down, it was, it was just prior to Sandy, it started, uh, started getting cleaned up. Everybody abandoned it prior to Sandy, and, and so the real estate was there. And you know, uh, you know, new new wave of people came in, and uh, I call them the losers came. The losers came, even their winners, but their losers that came, and and they just bought everything up and paid the price. You know, you know, what we had for eighteen thousand, they paid uh, three hundred thousand for. You know, mm. so, you know, so, and they and they developed the neighborhood again to as far as you know they can take it being surrounded with, with uh, you know, with shit. So uh, they did the best they can do with it. Uh, there's still this building every day. You know, I was down there a couple weeks ago. It's, you know, it's pretty stagnant now because of, uh, you know, the virus. But just prior to that, it was, it was, it was still building and, it, you know, trying to uh, upgrade everything with restaurants and uh, rebuild the homes. But it's going to be really nice when it's done. When it's finished, finished, it will be really nice. It's not a, it'd be unaffordable for most people, but yeah, but it'd be really nice. I wonder that all the time when I'm walking around. I, I live uh, like North Brooklyn. I'm just like, well, how, I don't know what everybody does to be able to live where people are living right now. Where's North Brooklyn? So I'm uh, kind of like South Williamsburg. Okay. Kind of like Williamsburg, Bushwick border. But if you go up, like they're building these giant 
like towers all along the river now. Oh yeah, Domino Park and all that. I'm just like I, I don't know how people are like what they're doing. My uh, cousin lives near McCarran Park. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. Driggs, I've been doing my life down there. My aunts, used to, uncles used to live on Metropolitan and Loma. Oh okay, yeah, I'm right so by I there. Know the neighborhood well. Cool. When you like you mentioned uh, Manhattan a couple times in the book, and I, I've interviewed a number of people on here that I don't know what you would call it, but like maybe like the pre-Juliana era is kind of like like seedy and lawless and good for for art and music and stuff like that but it's also like a lot of drugs a lot of crime do you look back at that era at all like romantically or do you think like nah you could keep it like I, pre- I prefer the city as it is now no I prefer back to the old days of course prior to Giuliani we had a full run clubs were better we were shaking everybody down and we, could, we were making a ton, of, a ton of money we had a pornography I was a pornography business all my life so we, we had all the bookstores we had all the movie theaters so no, of course, prior to uh, Giuliani, we were running the whole, na- you know, whole New York, especially Forty Second Street area or that Broadway area. It was really, uh, uh, really good times or really uh, profitable at the time, you know. So no, I would, I would like it back then. Yeah, I don't give a fuck what they do now. They, <laughs> it doesn't help me because they have Disney there. I mean, it doesn't help me at all. But uh, uh, it's two different times, you know. Prior to Giuliani, you had a lot of. Um, the law wasn't as uh, smart. The tech, you know, tech, tech, you know, technology wasn't as good. So you get, a, you know, you get a, a, a away with a lot of stuff. And plus, you can buy guys. We still had guys in a motor vehicle. We had guys in, that you, you know, get, get things squashed and, or, or turn a cheek. You know, after Julie came, Giuliani came in, they they just like turned that to zero. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like. Um how plugged into into the life were like local politicians and police and stuff like that? You'd, I would think they would have to be. Yeah, low, low key. Everybody wants the money. Money, you know, dictates everything. You know, uh, low key guys. You know, you know, some judges in the, you know in the, in the criminal court. Some low key judges. Uh, uh, anything with administration. You know, building department. Uh, uh, filings. You know, licenses, uh, birth certificates. The low key guys. Up after Costello died, we lost all the. All the, the biggest shots when Frank Costello died, because he had the Costello had Frank had the, all the uh, the big boys. After after he died, we lost them. Either Frank or, or when Frank died, or when Joe Joe Chapani died. That, then we lost really all our connection. Everybody got scared, and they didn't want to deal with people they didn't know as well. You know, then Frank and and Joe Joe Shep knew how to how to pay them off. Knew how to work with them. Young bucks didn't know how to work with these politicians, so they got scared fast and ran. So we lost a lot of connections after that. You hear about, well, I lived in Bay Ridge for a while, um, and you'd hear some stories out of Bay Ridge, or like maybe like every five or six years, you hear about someone getting killed in like Staten Island or down here in like uh, southern part of Brooklyn. Um, and you hear things like Russian mob, and there's like Jamaican mob. Like, uh, how aware are you of like how prevalent? this type of thing still is not only talking about like you know Italian families or something like that you've got criminals for the last hundreds of years hundreds of years in every different uh, you know uh, uh, nationality or something uh, Russia's been around forever the Baini's been around forever they were just under the radar the Chinese been around forever just that the Italians are just not as strong they went underground and with his money to be made, you're gonna get killings. You're gonna get people getting hurt. It's just, it's part of the business. 
the Russians do it just as good as we did, did it. They're probably better now. Uh, the Albanian kids are doing real good at it, you know, moving drugs and, 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 uh, and a lot of other things. Uh, but to me, it's, it's common. It's a common, you know, everybody thinks this is, it was Italian all the time. The Jew crew in the 20s and 30s were a lot, probably as tough or tougher than us. So it's, we weren't just privy to us, you know. Everybody thinks that because we're most glamorous was Italians, Italian, Italians. But we didn't own it all, you know, ever. You know, we just glamorized the most of it, you know, yeah. the most of it. But not a lot going on, you know, besides Italians. You may have covered this then before, so I apologize if you have in another book. What? But, um, you know, when I read the book, the violence that occurs is like Italian family on Italian family. Was there rivalry, like you're just saying, with like Chinese mob, uh, Russian mob and stuff like that? Those days, they nobody fucked with you, honestly. They, they, we were controlling everything. We were powerful. You know, we ran a, a, mo a lot of stuff, you know. So it, it was more of business deals. You know what I mean? People want to do business people. The whole thing over here is making money. Yeah. You know, not just to walk around pinky rings. The thing was to make money. So you do things to make money. If it has to be to speak with another uh, a crew from a, a Russians, Albanian, or Chinese to make a deal to, for ha to, to happen, to push drugs, to push money, to get gambling spots, to put the jukeboxes in. No matter what they are, they're green. You know what I mean? So you get along with everybody. If there's a beef, like any, uh, any other beef, if somebody robbed you, if they were black, white, green, purple, Russian, Chinese, Jew, it doesn't matter. You're going to have a beef and violence doesn't come out of it. So when you do, when you're... Uh, when you're a gangster or a hoodlum, the main thing is to, to make money. That's the whole thing's about. So you'll interact with everybody. Guys interacted with other families. If you're with the Cambinos or, and, you're, and you're with the, we with the Gallos, we, we dealt with everybody because Bay Ridge would be, let's say it was the Gambinos. So we needed to get jukebox in there. They're not in that business. You're going to deal with them. Someone knows someone. You go to me. Hey, listen, you know that guy in, in, in Bay Ridge that has those spots or who's running Bay Ridge? And they say, yeah, Paulie uh, was running. Oh, get a meeting. We got jukebox. You want to get in there. We got to deal with him. So you have to into, 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 you know, mingle with everybody. You know, only time there's beef is when, you know, there's a breakdown in the, in the, uh, in the families, and, and usually it's internal then, you know. Mm. Very rarely it's family against family. It's very rarely, I, you know, I don't know the last 30 years of, you know, Columbo's and, and, and the Gambino's fighting. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't mm. pay that much attention to that, but I, when I was around, it, it didn't happen because it just didn't happen. You know, everything was always in, in, in interior, you know, in, in, within the family. And you'll see it, it's glamorized, and you hear bodies here, bodies there, but it was always internal. You know, everybody pretty much had to get along with each other because uh, of the almighty dollar. Mm. That's how it works. You know, I'm not going to ask you to rehash the whole book, obviously, but for for people who are maybe hearing you for the first time, can you just briefly explain like how you got into the life? My father, when he came out of uh, out of um, Korea, started working as a well. First, he worked in the airline, American Airlines. And then after Marilyn, he started boxing. And uh, uh, um, Tony Bender uh, uh, was looking for muscle. So Tony Bender came into one of the boxing places, saw my father fighting, liked the way he handled himself, and hired him as a bouncer at the Wagon Wheel in Manhattan. Uh, it was Tony Bender's place and uh, Auntie Cafolo. Uh, uh, at the time, 
uh, Joey Gallo and Larry Gallo was having a beef with uh, Joe Pafacci. They were starting to, you know, they weren't happy and they were starting to make a move. So, And Tony Bender was supported Joey and Larry on the breakaway. He was instrumental of backing them up with other captains and, and the Genovese family saying that they had a legitimate beef and that's why uh, they make a noise. Uh, Joey and Larry used to go to the wagon wheel and uh, Ricky... Was bouncing there, my father Ricky was bouncing there, and what happens? Ricky gets into a fight with a uh, boxer, Emil, uh, Emil Griffith, and winds up knocking him out with two punches. And uh, Larry says, "Well, we, we want that guy." So they wind up. Uh, Tony Bender said that introduced them to uh, Larry and Joey, and Larry said, "You want to come down to Brooklyn? I got a bar on uh, Prospect Park called the Hilltop. I want somebody to run it." And Ricky said, "Okay." More money, more money. And he wound up c- coming with uh, Larry and then got very close with Larry and wound up being his bodyguard, driving him for, for 78 year, seven, eight years. I'm a little kid, going up at the hilltop, and all these guys, you know, Ricky being friendly with these guys now, and, with, you know, I, I grew up as a little kid, but they were my uncles. Grew up into it, and when I was old enough to, to drive, I became a driver, and that's how I got involved. So when you're growing up, does this feel normal to you? Is it just, it's the environment you grow up in? A little kid, you don't know any difference. If that's what you're doing, that's what you're doing. You know, it's like being in Africa. If you chase uh, uh, antelopes to, 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 to eat, you know, not to be you know, racial, but if you go, that's what you do. Over here, that's what you do. You get up in the morning, you go to the bar, and that's your uncle. He, he squeezes your cheek, <laughs> to your t- get tears in your eyes, and it's normal. So no matter what you do, if, if it's normal, it's normal to you, you know? Uh, that's what we did. These guys were characters, and that's all I saw. If, if those are your uncles around you, and that's what you see, you know, that's what you see. It's not that you're other people's house and see their uncles. I'm not other people's house. You're in your own house with your people. So that's what you know, you know? So to me, it was normal as a motherfucker. So, yeah. uh, I didn't find nothing abnormal about it. And, and the other kids you're around is probably their kids or their nephews and they do the same shit you're doing. You know, because they hell hang out together, you know. They don't, uh, my father don't hang out with, uh, with Larry and then, then hangs out with the uh, CEO of, uh, of Chase. You know, we all say the same together, you know, all together. So it's very normal for us. Yeah, I didn't find nothing. You know, I was thinking about, while I was reading it, I was thinking about the psychology of it. Um, you've got whole chapters where you're just naming like guy after guy and what he did and then it's like and he was murdered here at this time right is that like is that idea ever present like is the is it in everyone's conscious that like yeah i might not make it past 35 like this is just part of the life we're living seems it seems stressful (laughs) in this life if you start worrying about that you're in trouble already uh you're in trouble already so if you if that's your frame of thought then you're, you're a potential rat or you're no good anyway. So if that's in your mind at all. What you do is, if, if you're born into this or if this is what you do, it's natural. If you're a hooligan and, and that's what you know how to shake somebody down or you're gonna sell drugs or you're gonna do numbers, you do it naturally. If it's something that's not natural, you, you're a weak link, you know, because if you start, oh, I can't do something, I might get arrested. Now, you're smart how to do it properly, not to get arrested, but not afraid of getting arrested. So, uh, no, I just, I, I personally 
uh, uh, wasn't no fear of it. Fear is, you know, drinking too much and, and, and shooting somebody in the face at the time because you've got your balls yeah. twisted and you're the asshole because of the booze and who you think who you are. You know, it's very egotistical at the time. And, and we all don't have, you know, everybody thinks, well, they try to evaluate a sick mind. It's a sick mind to, to be able to turn the shit off, turn the stuff off. I always say you can't make sense of something that's not, you know, that's not sensible, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, at one time, you know, towards the end, uh, when we with the with, with the chin in, in the city, we worried about getting killed when we did that drug deal and we got and we got um, trouble for it. And Chin found out. Normally, if you're with Chin, you get killed if you if, if you're dealing drugs, you know. So, right. But uh, at the time, uh, uh, Albert uh, strained it out for saying that uh, we officially weren't with him. That we had the right to do what you wanted. Chin, like my father, took it took that as okay. He says, okay, don't reflect on me, but make sure you don't not known to be with us. So they came back to us and told us, make sure you don't uh, come around for a while. So my father, said, no problem. But he didn't trust you didn't trust anybody at the time, and he said, you know, they might come after us anyway. So he says, just keep your eye out, and it's gonna ha- it, and it's gonna be one of our own guys that are coming after us. So. You know, she says, so watch for whoever was around us at the time. You get called in, don't go. Never happened, but yeah, that, that, after that happened, wasn't afraid of getting shot, but it came, uh, you became, you became aware that, uh, yeah, something's going on or something could go on because it's, it's, inter- it's an interior now. So it's, you know, it's not an out stranger that you can just go, oh, we have a beef with that guy. Okay, let's do what we got to do. Can't do that. Because now it's a sit and watch game, and these guys you're with. These guys now you don't know if they're gonna come after you or not come after you. Who's gonna be the one? You know, it makes it more tense. Uh, you have to walk on uh, on uh, you know on nails or on glass because you got your eye out, but you can't react, and that's what gets you crazy. Because on on a normal, somebody fucked with you, you can just do what you go do what you have to do. So that's more. Uh, would be more of a we saw tense or more of a strain on you, uh, but still afraid. No, cautious. Yes, uh, anxious. Yes, uh, um, you know, irritable. Yes, but not afraid. When you're afraid, you, you, it's over. Mm. Yeah. So. You mentioned sort of like the glamorization of uh, this type of lifestyle. I got the sense from the book that the majority of people were still working class and, you know, weren't walking around with tons of cash in their pockets and stuff like that. You know, the big boys, you know, you know usually uh, bosses and bosses, consigliers, skippers, they get all the money, you know. Then you need the soldiers and associates, they make all the money. So you got to work for it, you know. Whatever it might be doing, if it's doing numbers, if it's doing uh, selling drugs, if it's uh, Shylock, and you got to work. It's a job, you know what I mean? You know, you're not you're not shoveling coal and, or breaking bricks, but you, it's, it's a job. So the, the low keys guys got to make the money. You know, you get the scores from the big boys, you know, because they have the uh, they get the connections and give you the the uh, uh, the um, what do you call it uh, a way to earn, or you bring something to them. But there's got to be workers, man. Everybody can't just sit with pinky rings and uh, and, and alligator shoes. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I get the sense that um, it's kind of like woven into the fabric of, of being an American to be like creative and industrious. 
And like you can work 40 years, like you said, breaking bricks and your life passes you by. Or if there's a way that you can try to cut some of those corners and still work, but not have to do that. I think most people would try to take that. And I see this is kind of, kind of part of that. Yeah. You don't even have to be Italian. It's anybody. Yeah. You know, anybody's going to take the... Exactly. Not everybody, but a majority of people will take the easy way out. You know, it's just easier. And, you know, I, 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 most people don't want to work. You know, they rather... Even today. I mean, guys can, you know, fall off the truck on a good union job after being sanctioned in. You know, they don't want to work. They want to get free money and go. It just works the same. as No matter who you are, you know, I, I, I believe that. You know, we have no cornerstone on being uh, lazy, you know. Because, uh, actually, you, you put a lot of hours in, you know. You put mm. a lot of hours in. Uh, you know, so, it's not the laziness. It's just it's just, a, it's just the alternative working hard you know, uh, or hard labor, you know. Because uh, we do put hours in, man. So, uh, and it's usually beneficial, you know, to, uh, you make a lot more money than breaking your ass in a, at, you know, in a, in a grocery store, you know. So you you get the the five dollars now when we're making fifty you know thousands a, a week yeah. you know you know having someone else sell drugs or having someone else take a number or having someone else do it you know or picking up or picking up or just driving around or never now and then somebody's got to get hit you got to hit because you want you want to you want to rob somebody you, you ask me for money I give it to you you know we I you know the person sounds like the bad guy but you came to me you want money now you want to rob me. That's why you get hit. You didn't get hit because you know, I don't force money on you. Nobody t- oh, you got to take this money and, and you got to give me uh, five points a week. No, you come to me because you're starving or because you're hurting and you say, you need something. And I provide that service to you. And now you want to fuck me. That's where you get hurt, man. And then it looks like the, 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 you know, the Shylock is the, is the bad guy. You know, the, the law does it to the, you know, or the banks do it to you. Yeah. They don't hit you, but they ruin your life. You know, if you, oh, you, please, take, yeah. you ask them, you beg them for money, you give them a credit card, you take loans, you take a mortgage, you, 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 you fuck with them, that hurts you even worse. I mean, they maybe don't smack, smack you in the face, but they you ruin your credit, they take your car, they take your house, they put liens, they ruin you for life because you 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 make you got a good credit and then you and then you you, you 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 fuck something up and then they they penalize you and then when you pay them the blemish is still on you you can't get credit so you, yeah, the, you, you get you, you get but I'm asking <laughs> you, you you get fucked no matter what, three ways Oh, there was nothing more gangster than the, the financial collapse that happened in the makeup. Yeah, over your time. You know, just like when you go to jail. You, you, you go to jail. You, 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 do, you pay for your crime. Now you, now you can't vote. Now you, now you can't get a job if it's a felon. I mean, you just keep on paying. You're supposed to pay for, for your crime. But you, you, you pay for the rest of your life. That's what, no matter what crime it is. You know, to be Italian or gangster. It could be anybody. If it's a felon, if it's stealing because it's a big company. You go to jail, you pay a fine, and the rest of your life you're scarred. So you, you just pay forever, which I don't find that right. When you pay for the crime, you end there, you know, but not with our system. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, people will go watch, um, you know, Marvel superhero films, right? And subconsciously, I think, like, those characters are heroic in the way that most people aren't. Right. Um, and so they kind of live vicariously through the screen for the two plus hours or whatever. Um, and that's why I say I think that, you know, most people would want to or maybe even empathize or sympathize 
with this type of lifestyle. Like if you watch, if people watch Goodfellas, they're not rooting against Henry Hill. They're rooting for Henry Hill and he's doing things that are breaking the law. But I think kind of in the way that you just said, people feel like they're getting screwed over every single day. So if you can kind of get one back on, on the system or whatever it is, then like more power to you. <laughs> of course. Well, don't forget why these guys are glamorizers to a lot, a lot of people use them. Mm. A lot of people need these guys. These guys are not there if they're not needed. You know what I mean? You know, example, you're hungry, you can't go to the bank because you don't have no credit, and this guy lends you money. You know, 99.9 of people that borrow money in, in the last 100 years with the, with the guys in the neighborhood paid them. You know, very rare somebody gets hit, gets beat up, or killed if, if it's some big numbers that we don't, you know, it's ridiculous shit. Because they need it and they get paid back, so they're a service, you know. So uh, they wouldn't talk bad about them because they're useful. When you need somebody, oh, they, no matter what they do, they're God. They're God. Mm. You know, it's 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 when you don't need nobody no more, then you then you know, ah, fuck them. But when you need somebody, uh, that's why you glamorize them because oh, wow, well, he's not a bad guy. He lends me money. That's his business, you know. So uh, a lot of people, a lot at, at the time. Glamorize them and like them because they were useful, you know. If they, if somebody robbed something, they couldn't go to the cops. Cops would come in, oh yeah, okay, robbed your TV. They would go to a neighbor guy and say, listen, they robbed Patsy's grandma's uh, TV, and the, and the neighbor guy go, oh, we'll find out. And, and within an hour, the TV's back. So, the, so now they're, they're glorified again because they helped the neighbor. They did what that they had to do because they protect always protect the neighbor. The law will come in and write something. They're not looking for nothing. The fuck, they think they're going to go through a project and look for a TV for you? Yeah. They, 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 you're lucky they write on a piece of paper and use the paper. You know, if it didn't fall in their lap, they, they couldn't do nothing. You know what I mean? You know, that's how the law was back that day. They couldn't find a killer. You, somebody had to tell them, there's a killer. They, they didn't find nobody, you know. So they never, they didn't help the, the poor, you know, Spanish guy or, or Irish guy or Italian guy. The naval guys helped them. That's yeah, why they glamified. I was going to ask, you know, uh, and maybe it may be annoying to even like reference movies, but that's sort of like my frame of reference because this is not the lifestyle I grew up in. But, uh, you know, a lot of people connect Marlon Brando's character with The Godfather with like very famously he's sitting at the, I think it's a desk yeah. in the beginning and he's, he's solving people's problems and then they kind of, you know, owe him something in return. <clears throat> like how, how real is this sort of like I'm looking out for the neighborhood type of thing for the, for the top guys? <clears throat> the big boys in the neighborhood were very, very into their neighborhood because they always wanted to look good. So, and they were a lot of more family people and a lot of them came from the neighborhood. So, I planned though, and that movie was a great movie, but it was a little more glorified, you know, with the table and shit like that. In those days, 1920s, 30s, with that, or 40s, back to probably 40s by then, it wasn't that uh, uh, luxurious, you know? It wasn't that, you didn't have that. The old boss would sit at, at, a, at a broken down table in a club, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but he would help. If he had the power to help, he would definitely help the neighborhood in any way. Money, the school kids, if people were in trouble, if the church needed something, 100% it, 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 true. Because um, that character was taking off a, a couple other, you know, characters that were in real life, you know, like Stello and and um, uh, uh, a few guys, I can't think of him right now, but a, a few gangsters had that same trait that they were all taken off of. So yeah, definitely a lot of stuff is 100% true. How much did people 
and I'll explain what I mean by this, but like, but how much do people move in silence? And when I say that, I mean sort of the the character now of a gangster is very popular in, in music and in film, and there's people that, that gladly proclaim I'm a gangster, and it's in lyrics, and they're letting the whole world know, right? Which likely means to me that they're not. Um, like, how public were people about their own persona during this time? The only public thing about it was that your, your presence would be known. You wouldn't know what I'm doing. I wouldn't know what flash nothing as far as you know who I am mm-hmm. by dress, by people, how people would you know, um, um, treat you and stuff like that. You would know. And you wouldn't be saying anything. Someone else would have to tell you. If some, you know, we always said, if I got to tell you how tough I am, it's no good. Somebody, better, somebody else in this place better whisper to you and say, don't fuck with him. That's when you, 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 know, you, you get to where you, where you got to be. Um, now, you, today, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a cultural thing today with this, I'm a gangster and the rapping and, and, and all the crap that it is now. It's a movement. It's a cultural thing. I don't think it has anything to do with being real. Uh, I mean, there's gangsters, you know, the rappers and stuff like that. They're, they're multi-millionaires and they're in the street doing stupid shit. I think it's just because they've got no brains, you know what I mean? Because uh, if you're smart, you make the money, you sing your songs, and you, and you, and you stay away from yeah. being a tough guy or being uh, uh, selling drugs in the street or getting into arguments in clubs. When you're dealing with being a multi-millionaire, these guys are dealing with millions and millions of dollars. But they want to be a tough guy. They want to still be in the street. It's stupid. Brain didn't grow. You got, brain's got to grow, man, no matter what you do. And if you have the opportunity to get out of the street and go legit, you should capitalize off it. I mean, the music is, uh, music sucks to me anyway. I, I, don't, I don't give a fuck who it is. I think it sucks. But it's not for me. The music was not for me. So it doesn't matter if I think it sucks or not. It's, it's for younger people. You know, I'm, I'm an older man. I, I shouldn't like that in the first place. I'd be, I'd be stupid if I liked it. But you have to, you have to, uh, you have to understand that it has nothing to do with old days or old times. It's a cultural thing, and you can't put the two together because culturally, we're 150 million times different than the culture that's doing that shit right now. Mm. You know? uh, no, I don't relate together at all. I think it's, I think it's just, it's show business. It's uh, uh, it's out there, yeah. You know, uh, my son tells me that a lot of these guys are uh, hoods, and you know what I mean. But and that's why they're mo- dead multimillionaires yeah. at one point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to me, that's that's really foolish, you know. So, yeah. But that's not my, you know, it's not my stick. It's not supposed to be, you know. I'm an older man. Uh, I just purpose personally think that it's just a cultural thing. You know, what I mean, I don't think it had nothing to do with being gangster or nothing to do with Italians. You know, what I mean. So it's just a different world, different time. You know, and people adapt it different, act differently, and treat it differently, and expose it differently. But nothing to do with us. You know, in the book, you mention uh, like restaurants that you opened and got involved in. Yeah. Was there ever an idea, and I don't mean any disrespect by saying something legitimate, but something more by the books? Is there was the idea like, well, eventually I'll do something that is more like straight and tight, typical type of lifestyle? No, you need to take bad money to make a good money. That's why everybody had legitimate businesses. You can't sell drugs or do bookmaking 
or Shylocking or robbing or whatever you got to do, anything uh, being a thief or a hula, and then go buy a, 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 at the time, a $100,000 house. Yeah. Well, you have to show money. So, I see. So you have to turn bad money into good money. Taxable income. <laughs> yeah. Even even a hundred years ago, that's why Capone went to jail. Yeah. It's always been there. So, a lot of the last hundred years, sixty years, a lot of you see a lot of um, uh, bosses of crime families own legitimate businesses. Who owns Olive Oil? Who owns a laundromat? Because they got to clean money up. Nothing to do with oh, I want to go straight. No, I need to I need to clean my motherfucking money up so I can use it. Yeah, not go to jail. So what you do is you take up, you make a hundred thousand, you open a joint up, you say you make the money, you pay the ten percent thing, and you clean up ninety thousand. Otherwise, you can't use that. You know, so it's just basically turning bad money into good money. You know, and 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 and, and make more money. Most 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 places are successful because of why they also joined it. They have, it, it becomes you know pretty popular and successful. So it's another income. You took bad money, made it good money. And that's another income. So no, it's nothing to do with, oh, I want to be legitimate. If you think that, you're no good. You got to leave because that's why you become a rat or that's become you flip because your mindset changes. It's me, 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 me. And, and if any, when the thoughts are like that, you're no good. So was there ever anyone who was like, I don't want to be doing this anymore? When I was a kid, I never heard anybody ratting. So when I came up to the Gallo family, in the seven, uh, late 60s to, to 77, maybe 280. Uh, I, never, I, I don't know anybody ever ratted. Uh, it wasn't spoken much about, you know. I heard a few times that guy's a little fucking rat, but it, it was meant differently, you know. It was an expression that, you know, not that he was going to the law or ratting you, that he was, you know, he'll say something to uh, your boss or your skipper, and an expression came out, you're like, ah, you fucking rat. Or, or, or he beat you out of something, or tried to beat you, ah, fucking rat, he's something. It was just used differently at the time. As far as the flipping and the, and the, and the informants, no. I never even heard it. I, I didn't know anybody at those days that did it. It wasn't very common then, not common at all. Uh, those guys are pretty lo- loyal at the time. Uh, Especially the crew we were with, you know, they were very small and very loyal. So, nah, a lot of, some guys left. You know, it was over money. I wrote in a book that a lot of guys that were very close to on uh, a breakup in '74, uh, they just didn't like the leadership and and they went with the bigger money. That was it. Uh, uh, it's all about the money. It's about money and position and power. Even if you're with somebody. Most guys, because they got sick minds, the ultimate goal is to take the spot, the guy you with, or have the money, the guy you with. Even though you die, you might die from in between. That's why it's a sick mind. You'll you'll jump in front of a bullet for the guy, and then if something goes down, you got, you the guys got to kill him. Mm. It's sick. It's, it makes no sense because it's a code. It's a sick code, man. You know, you don't jump in front of a bullet, then you don't want to kill the guy. It doesn't make no fucking sense. You know what I mean? Especially for your own life. What kind of value your life if you have, if you're gonna take a bullet and die, and then kill the guy? You know what I mean? So that's why I try to tell everybody that you try to make sense of something that's sick. It's a sick mind that clicks in, clicks out, and the morals of that are is just weird that most people don't understand and you can't be it if you don't if you're not it because you're not gonna 
understand how to click and not click, or when it's just a fan, you're going to turn. Yeah, I was thinking about the morals of not selling drugs, but killing someone. It was Is that less to do with morals and more that like if you get into that type of a game, people are going to be slipping up because they're going to be using? Well, the, the drug business, a lot, of, a lot of bosses didn't like it because it morally was, it was, it was a low-life thing to do, and the heat used to come down, and you, uh-huh. would, and you would lose your influence. That's why a lot of guys didn't want to do it. They gave two fucks that you sell drugs. These are hooligans here. I mean, they kill people. Yeah. <laughs> but you, gotta, but you, gotta, you wanna keep your power and your connections. And if, if, you, and if you think, uh, if, well, they thought that by doing this, they're gonna lose their power and the connection, they're gonna have trouble. So you don't do it. Not in morals. I mean, maybe there were some guys that were anti-drug guys. I don't know, I didn't meet guys 100 years ago. But they've been doing this forever, you know? Uh, I know Chin, Chin didn't like drugs, but not because uh, you know, he was a, a, a big Catholic. Because he came up with Vito Genovese and, and, and he got pinched with drugs and, and he knew how severe it was and how you get ratted out so fast and the time you can do on it. So he was to protect himself and, uh, you know, and his em- empire, he, he blackballed it. It's mm. not the morals, it was self, you know, you know pre- what's the word, preservation. Nothing to do with morals. We're not moral people. You, you say you're moral, you know, your rules and regulations, but yeah, it's all the games. Every smoking mirror is, you know, it's, it's you know, you write things down uh, mentally to uh, to have a guideline. And we broke every fucking one we made, everyone from day one. Every rule we made, we have broken ourselves. <laughs> everyone. There's not wow. one rule. We've we've. First one was you just kill the boss. Because the bosses instilled that to protect themselves in, in, when this whole thing started. The first boss was killed by the underboss. The, the other boss who killed them became boss. He was killed by his underboss. Everybody from uh, Diacuallo uh, to uh, Frank Scalisi to, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, the one Alba killed, uh, Mangano, all killed by the underbosses. Alba Anastasia by his underboss, uh, 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 Carlo Cabino. The number one rule is a f- they made was the one always broken. <laughs> Second, you don't supposed to, you don't supposed to go against the family. Everyone went against the family. You don't supposed to uh, rob the family. You don't supposed to. They, that's all they do. You know, you don't supposed to sell drugs. They sell drugs. You know, you don't supposed to fuck your 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 your, uh, your, your, your bosses or your s- friends' wife or daughter. They broke all that. So everything was broken. Yeah. Everything. Everything's broken. That kind of list is broken. More broken rules than rules. So it's a guideline that you're supposed to. A lot of guys do. You know what I mean? A lot of guys do follow the rules regulations. But you're talking about thousands of guys, you know? You know, if there's 10,000 guys, maybe 8,000 guys follow the rules because they just follow the rules. Those two guys, those 2,000 running rampant, fucking everybody's daughters, <laughs> robbing everybody, getting ready to shoot the, the boys, waiting for this stuff. I, I don't like the way you act. I won't break away. But, 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 you know, it's just, it's in the business. It's, it's, it's mindset. That's what they do, you know? I always said smoke and marriage. You don't tell me about Omerta. Don't tell me about that's good for civilians to talk bullshit. But if you're in the life, you know. Anybody in this life knows what they do, what they said, and, and how it works, you know? To, put, to, to try to tell stories, which I tell stories in books, it's, it's, you try to tell a story, but I know for a fact, you can't, you can't understand until 
unless you were there, that you had the, 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 the hate in your heart that you, that you beat somebody to death till, and, and actually get a heart on from it because you know, the blood's squirting on you and stuff like that. You don't feel that Shit. feeling, you know, then, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Or when you get ready to shoot somebody and you have to prepare yourself and, 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 and mindset how you're getting in, how you're getting out, you know, and you're going to pop somebody in the head. If you never did that, then how can you understand the feeling it. I can, you can, the word is nice, oh, you know, but you don't feel it. Or the loyalty to someone that you jump in front of a gun, a, a, a bullet, uh, or go to war with, uh, or then uh, have to kill somebody that you don't want to, you know, because of the rules of regulation that were broken again, you yeah. know. If you don't actually live it and did it, you can't understand it, you know, like, like uh, you, know, I, you know, like I can't understand things I, I don't do, you know, I just understand it. You, you can tell me it. I don't understand it. You know, I mean, like, uh, I don't understand how a plane stays in the air. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't understand that. It. It's too heavy. It's supposed to fall. No, the air pushes down. I, yeah, I just don't, you know, just because you, you just don't understand it. You know, you got to live this life to understand it. Otherwise, it's because it's, it's, it, 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 it's a mindset. It's a, it's a certain sick mind that you can turn this on, turn this off. You can do very bad things. You know what I mean? And then, and then be uh, a nice guy. You know, yeah, you can go, you can go um, shoot somebody in the face and go home and, and put your grandchild on the and thing and, go, and, and sing tiny songs or you know, songs to them and with no, you know, with no feelings and stuff like that because it was business, you know, that's sick. You know, it's not normal, you know. So I, I learned that a long time ago that, you know, we're not normal, you know. And now we said that, we're not normal, you know, we're different. You know, we're not better, we're not worse, you know, we're different. You know, and I always said that. I always said that. Can I ask you about the Irishman? Sucked. I gotta tell you right now, it sucked. It sucked because I couldn't watch the whole movie because I was so pissed off of, of with the Joey Gallo thing with, with uh, Frank Sheehan, especially being involved with it those days. You know, I know for a fact, a hundred percent fact, they would put our life on the line. Even today, I'll go anybody put my life on the line. I was sat with with with, with Pete the Greek. Uh, the, the, when he got shot, when he came down to Pleasant Street that day, I was there. Was He's the one that got shot in the ass. Yes, yeah. I, I was there. My godfather was the other bodyguard, Bobby Darrell. I was there when Pete came in a couple of days later after he came out of the hospital because he went to the hospital uh, and, and blessed. And we grabbed him and they go, "Who was it?" He goes, "It was Sonny Pinto," and it was he named him. There was no lies. There was no this real shit. I sat there. It was not hearsay. Wrote a book, read it. My cousin told me. I sat right there, just like you're sitting here. I sitting here. Pete Creek comes walking in, motherfucking, and everybody's you know upset, and and they grabbed him around. I remember exactly. Grabbed um, bless, put his arm around Pete the Greek. They went into on his side, you know, and he was talking about bum, Sonny Pinto. So, and then they make these movies, and these guys come out with this stuff. And if you listen, it's. 60, it was 60 years ago already? No, it's about 40 years ago. 70, 70, 73. So 47 years ago. Now, it's not very guys around that, you know, that would, who were there that's still alive. Right. I forget it. I'm 65, and I'm the youngest of anybody there. And that was 47 years ago. So everybody in our crew is dead. My father down. Everybody's dead. I think there's three living guys in the whole thing that was there in, in, for that whole, wow. the whole Gallo, uh, Pafachi, Gallo, Colombo Wars. Three guys that's all alive. 
so you get, you get, you get, I get upset. Can you watch it? Because I, I know it's all lies. You see, so I guess the first publication of the book, I Heard You Paint Houses, I think came out in the 90s. Right. You wrote your book, the film came out. I did all that in the reverse order. So I saw the film, I read I Heard You Paint Houses, and then I didn't even make the connection, but then I'm reading it, and my girlfriend had seen the movie with me, and I'm talking, I'm like, I wonder if, that's, if this is gonna mention The Irishman, and you gave it one line in your book, which to me felt very purposeful. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, does this, does this bother you at all, the oh, way yeah. that this well, that, is portrayed? Well, that's why I opened up with that. Yeah. I don't know what that guy did. I'm not saying he's not a tough guy, but he had nothing to do with the, with the, Gallo, with the Joey killing. So do you think then all the Kennedy and the Hoffa stuff is bullshit too? No, not at all. Not at all. I don't know details, but definitely, the Joe, you know, Joe Kennedy had the boys backing him up and stuff like that. He's always been a hooligan there. You know, it's, that's the business they're in. Uh, and it was always a fact that Joe had friends, you know? And they helped with the presidency. And after that, he fucked them. That's why that's what Joe Kennedy's got bad reputation, and that's why they got bad luck, because they're all pieces of shit that they, they extra favors, and then they fuck you afterwards. That's their M.O., you know? That's why John got killed. That's why uh, Robert got killed. That's why their cousins, their uncles, their children, they were all fucked. A lot of money, but they all got horrible lives. Cancer, drug, drug uh, car accidents, drugs. You know why? Because they're a they were, they were, they were black sheep family, because they're no good. They got all the help in the world, and they turned on you. They passed it down. From John to, to Robert... To Eddie, Eddie's a piece of shit. The other one, the other um, brother, you know, the one with the, the uh, got in a car accident, and girl died. You get a car accident, and leave a girl there, you dead. You, yeah. you, you still be in the fucking jail. <laughs> this guy, oh, I was, I was dizzy. I mean, Kenny's, buy, you buy your way out. That's not gangster, man. Come on, that's more gangster than anybody else. Because you legit, you're following the rules. You broke every rule in the world. You know that guy Schinkel. The, the nephew that killed the girl, they got more fucking evidence on him. Man, he goes in jail, out of jail, boom, 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 they can't, you know, he's got the money. You got money, you can, you can do a lot with money, you know, so. I, yeah, I believe in a, a lot of stuff. Did I meet anybody? Joe Shep mentioned uh, that Kennedy thing in, in, little de- in, in very little bit. Uh, these guys didn't speak much about detail of what went down. Guys, most guys don't do that. Yeah. You know, you know like, uh, my father killed six, seven guys. He never said, 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 oh, Frankie boy, let me tell you how I did it. Oh, I, you know, no. You know what it is. You know, you nod. You, you get your, your bones for it. And it goes in a circle that, you know, you got, you got a couple on your belt. Or, you know, that guy or that thing. Okay. That guy disappeared. Oh, okay. And they know. You never, I know, I never heard of wise guys kill. And I, I know quite a few and that did a lot of work. And never, never mentioned one. Never had to mention one. So uh, it's all these stories that we read and we hear is from other people mm-hmm. that told other people. And then they write a book. You know what I mean? Or the, in the last 10 years, it's uh, people have flipped. You know, rats and informants. Because they get passes now. Because they can, you know, they get uh, a pass saying, I can say anything I want. I can't get, you know, uh, I can't get in trouble for it. And now you come out and you give details about stuff that nobody knew about. And, and most of the time they lie too because of a lot of reasons. They, they never tell the truth. And if you read most books, you never, you never hear them call themselves asshole. 
or they were wrong. They never say that. Right. Always, you know, all the books, uh, well, they did something wrong to me, and they didn't feed my family, or I was in jail, or they were coming after me, or they did this, I did, or I found God, or I didn't want to do this no more. Never that I was an asshole, and I did bad things, and, and I just want to, I, I found a way how to get away with it. So yeah. Fuck everybody and got away with it. No one tells the truth. You know, so uh, that's what annoys me about books. That no one tells you, but I know the truth, and they know I know the truth. So that's why the books not made for me. The books are made for everybody else. You know, it's entertainment and 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 and, and make a dollar. Has anyone ever contacted you to option your stories for TV or film? No, I uh, no. I, I you know I wrote a script for about the Treasure Street Boys. I'm sitting on it. I don't know how to give it or nothing. And no one came to me. You know, so I'm sitting on it. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. That's not my field. You know how to get in touch with people or how to move it. But I'm sitting on a script, President Street Boys. Uh, I have an angle that Peter Dindri- uh, Dinkage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to, you know. He's in Brooklyn, right? Huh? I think he lives in Brooklyn. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, well, anyway. Oh, for I, the character. I, I, oh, okay. Sorry. I'm <laughs> I heard that he wanted to play a gangster. Just, uh, I got a Mondo the Midget. Can you explain that for people that maybe don't know? Why? The, uh, Who the, Mondo's? The, yeah. Well, in the, in the book, or in, with the gallows, there was a, a dwarf that was with, uh, with the gallows, very close with Joey Gallo. In fact, he was a cousin of Punchy Iliano, Frank Iliano. And he was with uh, through the, the whole Gallo, Pofaccio, Colombo. He was one of the guys with them. He was, you know, take numbers and uh, Shylock. And he was the one that took care of the, the lion when we had it in the basement. We had a little lion in the basement earlier. <laughs> yeah. And he's the one that took care of it, you know. Uh, until it got too big, and it was actually a midget called Amando. Uh, and then, and then he had uh, he, he used to walk uh, a German Shepherd with the numbers. He used to put the numbers in the dog's collar. And, oh wow! Right? So when the cops come, they wouldn't go near him. So he, that's how you should transport the numbers. So walk around there, put the number slip, put in the collar of the of the of the Shepherd, and walk the big Shepherd. Shepherd was bigger than him. But anyway, I heard that uh, Peter wanted to do. Uh, a gangster movie. And I got a, I got a, a, a script with a with a with a, with a midget in it. The only known midget that's in you know in this life that's pretty famous, Armando. So what I wanted to do was rewrite the script, which we started rewriting script at Armando's eyes instead of me me doing it. Just changes me to Armando. Oh, I don't wow, need me yeah. doing it. I don't give a fuck. We're trying to sell this thing. So instead of me telling a story like I do, let Armando tell a story because Armando was there. Like, but I can't get. I can't get it to Peter. I don't want to get it to Peter. I think he lives in like Brooklyn Heights. Does he? Then we got to stalk him down. All right, let's try to do that. We'll, we'll try to make that happen. At least leave it out, give him an envelope. Did you have to get a lot of people's blessings to be able to write this stuff? When I started, the, try to keep this. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. When I started Mob Candy the magazine, nobody gave a shit, right? Nobody cared. It was 2007. We were pretty much not with no. We were pretty much on our own. We weren't. Uh, how you doing, man? From the presidency, right? Yeah. Huh? Your Chris's uh, following. Right. Yeah, yeah. My family's from President Street, Third Avenue. And where? Murphy. Hugh Murphy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's my grandfather. Oh cool, Third Avenue. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, small world. Yeah. Yeah. Chucky, Jojo, all my cousins, yeah. 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 Take care. Take care, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were all in jail. I think they were. So isn't Chucky and Jojo in jail? Chucky and Jojo, I think. Yeah, I think they were in jail. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, I think, they, I think Chucky, who's uh, Chavuso's? Uh, Marcus, I think. No, Chucky and them are, are Russo's. The son lives down there. Does he? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Funny. Sorry, Ken. No, that's cool. I like this background stuff. That's cool. Uh, so, what were we saying? Uh, we were saying about uh, getting to uh, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if we get it to him, maybe we just, like, get it and put it in his mailbox and shit like that. It'd be fun. All right, let's see. Let's see. Uh, we'll see what can happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go chase him down for me. Yeah. <laughs> um... Was they, there? They get scared if I do it. You can. They won't be scared. <laughs> was there a, uh, a Howard Beach connection at all, or no? My uh, my girlfriend's family's in Howard Beach, and they always tell me when they were growing up, going to school, like sometimes you'd see a dead body, and like it was that there are a lot of guys down there. Howard Beach is a uh, Gambino guys. Don't even only Gambino. Okay. Prior to Bobby, we had a guy with us, Bobby Boriello, that was with the Gallows that wound up being released to uh, John uh, John uh, Gotti. So. After Bobby Boyello got released to John, then we had a link. You know, then we were more friendly and things were going on. That was probably 75, 76 up. Uh, but prior to that, no, there was no reason to really have any interlink there. You know, those guys were doing down there what they were doing, different crews, different families. Uh, what, uh, it was probably a, probably a few. If we needed something at the airport, we probably went to the Gambino family, which is Gotti's. If we needed somebody at the airport or something like yeah. that, because they ran the airport, then some interaction or something like that. But no, we pretty much kept what we were doing. We were don't forget we were South Brooklyn to Manhattan, because you know when we went out drinking or we went business, we went from South Brooklyn to Manhattan. That was close to us. We didn't go to Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, all the way down. This that's a different part of the country. That where you are now is it was a fucking other part of the world. We didn't even heard it was Beach. So where we gonna go? We're gonna go to sticks. Yeah, yeah. We even come down here, you know. So we went from uh, South Brooklyn to Manhattan. So no, we didn't really deal with them, but there was always gangsters. A lot of gangsters came from there, of course, you know. Oh, I know what we were saying. You were telling me about. Um, I had asked you about getting people's blessing, and you were mentioning you mm. started the magazine. Yes, 2007 we started the magazine. Nobody gave me a hard time because we were about six, seven years. We weren't really, you know, we were pretty on our own. We weren't dealing with nobody because of the uh, when the when our, our skipper at the time were bad in 2000. That Anthony Rotunda, we pretty got released. Nobody came looking, you know. So we were pretty much on our own, not obligated nowhere. So nobody really said nothing, and I made sure the, the magazine was pretty uh, generic, you know? And uh, no, got everybody's blessings, nobody gave a fuck, you know? What happened when I started writing, that's when I started getting uh, earful. Uh, the books. The books. Yeah. You know, when I started writing the, uh, when I wrote the book in Gangsters, nobody gave a shit. When I wrote the Manhattan Gangsters, I didn't hear nothing. But when I started doing the autobiography, which is Lying in the Basement, which is, you know, as President Street, I wrote it as lying in the basement. Yeah. That's when I started. Everybody started getting a little nervous. You know, what am I going to say there? You know? And I just made sure that, uh, uh, I just made to make, make it interesting. And I couldn't say it at the time because still guys were alive. So I left it pretty uh, generic. I left it, I didn't go into too much details to the guys that were alive. Uh, 
they were ner- they were nervous and worried, so they, you know everybody backed off me away from me. Uh, uh, we weren't friendly with them. I wasn't really close with them at the time no more anyway, so uh, it didn't really affect my life at all. Uh, a couple guys came and got a little nasty, and I told them to go fuck themselves. You know what I mean? So I made sure I always carried a gun with me those days. You know what I mean? Because I knew there was some assholes and come say something. I was always I would travel by myself, so. Uh, and I always travel where I had to go anyway, so I figured, well, if it's just gonna happen, I, they ain't gonna beat me up. I'm, I'm gonna shoot one of them in the face, so uh, they, they wanna rock, let's rock, you know? So uh, it never got that far. I mean, they usually would say something to me, and I would go, you know, I don't know what the fuck you, you're bullshitting about. And, and then they would say, well, you know, really not nice, but they never got too crazy, but I was always ready to, they would, they would, somebody's gonna get killed, so. I, I wasn't gonna go just beat up. I still refuse that now. So you know, uh, and then they, then they, you know, there's only a few bullshitters, you know. But otherwise, nobody really uh, came after me or said nothing. A lot of people stood away because you know now I'm a writer and and I, I write books and, and, and got the magazine. So that's the type of guy you want to sit with and say, you know what I did last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you lose all that, you know. You lose that stuff, which I didn't give a shit anyway, so it doesn't matter. But uh, you no, know, a couple of punks say something now and then, and they'll go bullshit artists. I mean, you know, I'm doing this for 13, 14, 15 years. Like I say, well, that, what am I? When are you coming? Yeah. You know, like, I'm almost like say, come on, let's get it over with. You know, let's go to jail, let's go to or the cemetery, but let's get it over with. You know, fuck you long. You're gonna wait to come if you don't like what I'm doing. How long are you gonna wait? It's been 13 years already, 14 years already. There, there's no such thing as like a like an old beef or something like that you have to think about, is there? Well, you always got to worry about something you did. I mean, I got no pass on nothing I did, you know, the law. But as far as with uh, guys, I mean, my personal thing is they, they, they don't have the balls to do nothing or they don't want the trouble, you know? So it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a it's a, uh, you know, half and half. You don't got the balls to do it, and you don't want the he- headache to do it. Or it's not as, uh, important enough to do it. Yeah, because you don't like me, because I write books, there's no reason to get yourself, go to jail, or get, or, or, or get hurt. You might, you might, you know, say shit, like, fuck him, or like that. But, it, but, but that's all this work. You know, so, uh, knowing the characters, I say all the time, uh, that guy is walking the street, put your father, your uncle, your, 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 your other cousin, all in jail doing life. And he's walking around. The fuck you want? What are you fucking with me for? So I get a little angry at that so if someone says to me. Mm. I told one guy one time, a long time ago, well, I'll get a gun, come with you. Your fucking family sitting in jail doing life on that rat and he's walking around. Come on, go do something. They get mad, don't be like that, you know, because nobody wants to trouble. They want to act the game, but nobody really wants to trouble. Mm. Especially something that's not serious enough, you know? Because you know, the guys are walking around that did bad, bad things. I can name six rats walking around doing interviews, writing books. Put a lot of people in jail, you know? That, that are wise guys that are still in this life, that run in the mafia. Meanwhile, they were uncles in jail, everybody's in jail, and they, and they watch them on TV and reading books, and they're doing a fucking thing. So am I going to worry about it? I don't worry about it, no, no. And plus, I don't think it's important enough because it's nothing on the scale of that. Yeah. You know, if you read the books, everybody talk about the dead. Yeah, I was. I was do that purposely. 
You know what I mean? And if the guy's live living, I don't say nothing bad about him. If you read the book, yeah. I Richie, I just say he's a good guy, and it should be a hundred Richies because I know what to do. Because you don't want to get no one in trouble. You don't want to say no, open a can of worms. But everyone knows he's there. He was there. So when I write in the book, he's there. He, in fact, he liked it. He said, thanks for mentioning me. I saw the guy. He said, thanks for mentioning say nothing. I said, but I had to mention. He goes, no, I don't mind because never, you know, everybody knows where you're at. But I didn't say nothing, not one bad word. So who's, what are you going to be mad at for? What are you going to be mad at? Tell the historic stories? Yeah. To bring your story sort of full circle, this particular book ends with sort of like a transfer of families to the Colombo family, I believe. Um, no, the Calavante family. Oh, my yeah. fault, my fault. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're sitting here with me as, as Frank the writer, yeah. right? Not Frank the, you know, head of a crime family or something like that. Is yeah. how, I mean, we talked about how there isn't really an end to the life. Like, is it that it dissolves and a lot of people are dead or in jail and this is just sort of how things evolve or... 2000 to 1999, it all changed. When we were with the DeCalicanti family, we were with Anthony Rotunda. That was the Brooklyn crew. He was our skipper. My father was consigliere to him. Right? Right. What happens, there was a big investigation. You don't know, you know, going on, you know. We didn't know this. He winds up getting pinched in, uh, I think, December 1999. And he was in jail all of 2000. And like, I think, I think early uh, 2001, we, he, they take him out of waiting trial on this case, on a case. They take him out of circulation. We know he flipped. So once he flipped, we all run scared now because your boss, he's your skipper, he's a captain. He knows everything, you know. So uh, we all went into you know low gear, stealth. You sit down low, wait. Now, uh, what happened a week after that? We find out that. The boss of the, of the Vinnie Oceans uh, flips. The boss of the family flipped. And then you're dead. You're dead. If the boss flips, you're dead. Mm. See, what happened was Anthony found out ahead of time that the boss flipped while he was in a can, while he was in jail. Uh, and so that's why he flipped right away. And then the four other guys flipped. The whole infrastructure int- uh, int- uh, of the family in Jersey all became uh, informants. And rats. So everybody's now, you know, testifying and going after each other. The law wanted everybody, them and up. They really weren't looking for the crew down, except for the, except for a couple of murders. That's why Anthony Capo and Jimmy Gallo and another guy that, that had some uh, uh, some bodies on on some famous stuff. You know, uh, they want to go to jail. And, get, and, and then they, they, two of them flipped, and everybody flipped. Nobody went to jail except one guy, uh, Jimmy Gallo, on, on, on all the murders, one guy goes to jail. Uh, what happened was they were so disrupted that no one came down uh, asking any questions to the Brooklyn crew, because we were Brooklyn crew out of a Jersey outfit. So my father said, wait till someone comes down. No one came down. Right? Then a couple of guys uh, went to Jersey to get a release because we're Brooklyn crew. And they said, we want out. We want to get released because they got sponsored by uh, uh, another family. So they said, okay, go. Because they didn't want no part. 
because they were afraid that those guys are going to get released. Mm. That some might be some indictments coming down on them because they were part of uh, of the that whole uh, the whole bad thing that went bad. So I said, okay, you can leave. So they got released. So after they got released, we're not part of the, they went somewhere else. No one came knocking. So my, my father turned around and said, if no one comes knocking, we'll go. Hey, babe, if no one comes knocking, we're gonna we're gonna walk away. So he said, year and a half. No one came knocking. We kept in touch with some friends that that got released, went the other side. He said, no one's coming knocking. My father said, see ya. And, okay, my father said, see ya. And he said, we're going to fly with that. He goes, they come, if they, no one's going to call. He goes, if they call, we'll, we'll answer. And we wound up walking out the door, just staying friends with some other people. But that, that Jersey crew never even called us. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. But it's strange because we were a Brooklyn crew. We were a Brooklyn crew in a Jersey family. We were under a Brooklyn cat skipper. Uh, we're Brooklyn guys. Uh, we were asked for a favor to even to be there because when Jimmy, uh, Anthony, my father was with Jimmy Rotunda. He used to be a um, union delegate. His son got straightened out and, and he wound up getting his own crew and they came down and asked my father to school him. That's how my father got involved because he, had a, he constantly had this Anthony Vitunda, and that's how we got involved over there. So they had no reason to actually come after us to uh, question or say, you got to go over here. Not really, because we did a favor to go over there, you know what I mean? So to be with Anthony, to, to help him. So we pretty much, no one come knocking, we walked away and, and we did our own thing, you know, you know, whatever criminals do, we kept on being criminals, you know, but with, on our own. Yeah. And then, you know, and then uh, it was just over. Then the years went by and years went by and you just wasn't with nobody no more and no one come knocking and no one, you do your own thing and you're not obligated nowhere. And and I, uh, in in my head, I didn't, didn't trust no one no more because everybody started flipping and there was that whole thing with Sammy and, and everybody going, uh, everybody becoming a rat, informant. So who am I going to go with? Who am I going to be with? Who do I trust? So my father says, you can't trust no one. So you just got to, if you want to go rob, go steal yourself. You know what I mean? If you want to go do something, do it yourself. He'll go, the, the days of being with everybody are over. Because you trust them? I said, no. He goes, I don't trust them. So why would you want to be with somebody you, don't, you, you can't trust? I go, you're right. It's over. You know what I mean? So he goes, fuck them. You know, he goes, you know, if they're not rats, they're potential rats. You know, so let them let them all run for the cheese. And he says, we'll stay here and take some sun in Florida. And that's what we're <laughs> yeah. going to do. And then uh, we sat around because we still had the video company. We had an adult video company we still had. We still had a, the uh, screw magazine. We were in the porno business. All right, right. So we still had all that. It was the end of it because Juliana was starting to, you know, fuck us there. And, and uh, that was going away. So and that's why I met that guy in Dream. With the, I met that uh uh, Ty- Tyrone Christopher in the bar and we, and we dreamed up the uh, magazine that's how it really went from from a nomad uh, criminal to a uh, you know legitimate uh, writer or, or publisher that's where it really started 2007 well everyone listening knows you can whatever app you're listening to this in just go to the notes and there will be links to your books so that they can uh read the book I'm referencing and then check out all your stuff yeah get it, to mobcandymeg.com that's the best place cool I will link to that so everyone you can press pause right now and go check that out um, 
Is there a project that you're working on now or a new book? My new book's coming out, The Sonny Pinto Story, The, the Killer and Joey. That's coming out in June. Cool. That, I, I wrote that. That's the, the Keniston book's got that already. I am working on a coffee table book now of... Uh, of uh, it's going to be uh, caricatures of, of the Gallo family with bios, uh, the Pafacis, the Colombos, Anything affiliated with us around, you know, Abinastasia, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a caricature, uh, full page of of that gangster with a bio. It's gonna be a coffee table. That's what we're doing right now. Awesome. Yeah. Before I close, um, I obviously love storytelling. It's like a storytelling podcast. Uh, I first got interested in uh, hearing about this kind of life uh, through my dad. Like my dad was not involved, but he grew up in Long Island. And he had a friend who was legally blind. And his dad, I don't know what family, and I won't use names, but he was heavily involved somehow. And uh, he had been taken out. And so then after that, like everyone kind of looked after his friend for a while because he was legally blind and needed some help. But my dad would tell me that when he was a kid and they were hanging out over there, and, you know, the cars would pull up and the guys would meet or whatever they were doing. They'd give the kids money and, like, yo, go get lost and go get some ice cream for a while. <laughs> you know, buzz off. And then... Um, what part of Long Island? He grew up in Lindenhurst. Lindenhurst. And then he worked... Um, my dad did a lot of labor when I was young. And he worked in trucking for a bit and was a... I think he did. He was, like, a dispatcher. Um, so he likes the podcast. And I mentioned I was going to be talking to you. And he's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I think he said he worked with... Gallo's nephew or something like that um, told me this crazy story about how someone was mad at him one time and uh, they got into like the truck and on the gear shift they put a rabbit head they like ripped the head off a rabbit and stuck it on there to show him like we're not happy with you so <laughs> so my dad's going to be listening I know he'll be geeked about that so um, hi dad and uh, Frank thanks so much this is really cool to, to get to talk to you no problem thank you cheers okay Hey, that's a wrap. Episode 194 is in the books. Thank you so much to Frank for doing this. I had a really good time talking to him. Man, really crazy stuff. I would love to see that, that movie happen. Uh, so Peter Dinklage, let's try to make that happen. Thank you to all of you Voyagers. Hope you have a great holiday. Hope you are safe and healthy and happy. We march on. All right, folks, as always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon.